Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Guys, we took a we took a week off. We did. We sure did. It's see, crazy. See, at this point, you're, you heard last week's episode, so it feels like we're back to normal. But for us, this mm. is our first week back at it. Yeah, it's been yeah. a while. It has you been a while. Say it's been, it's been it. a while. <laughs> oh, you beat Brent to it, Jack. Well, I, no, I kind Brent, of was, Brent didn't want to. He was fighting the I urge. Said you, I said you might say that, and I was waiting for someone to take take the lead on yeah, it. <laughs> he's leading us. He's leading. So, mm-hmm. so we have actually really interesting um, couple episodes because this is our first two parter that we're ever going to do on the show. Yes, this is oh, a bit of a so, bold experiment here. Yeah, yeah. It's t- dude. It's the time for experimentation. You got to change yes. things up. Yeah. So you exactly. know, normally we d- we've been doing some longer episodes lately, but this one I think deserves the attention of a two parter. So mm. we're gonna take this one a little slower, um, so that we can get everything right. Because man, we're we're gonna be talking about something pretty, pretty dark, but important for history. Important to talk about, which is the Tulsa Race Massacre. Yeah. <laughs> yep. 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 So you know, with everything going on, we thought that it would be a good idea to kind of bring to light a part of history that is almost kind of been erased in a way. Um, mm. And I think that basically what we're going to do is for the first part of this little mini series, we'll talk about setting the stage and like what led to this event happening. Um, kind of go back in time a little bit to like the Civil War. Uh, and then once we finish that episode, we'll go into the riot itself and the the massacre. Dude, I uh, I just watched Hamilton. I'm I'm prepared. Oh, it's on Disney Plus now, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um, it's all right. I didn't realize. I thought that there was a lot more talking in between songs. I didn't realize it was an operetta. Yeah. Um. So there's like no downtime. It's like just boom, boom, boom. Mm. Right. Um. And so I. Th- realized that i wasn't missing as much as i thought i was Mm. gotcha and uh it was still it's fun yeah i haven't uh, seen it i'm familiar with the soundtrack because of you know how crazy that was when that was just like everything in the world was just hamilton but uh (laughs) yeah but yeah i haven't watched it yet i'm gonna get around to it i think though yes the original cast was pretty cool although Mm -hmm. it's like i prefer i think the recording Mm. um interesting there are a few characters who are better who are like more like alive on stage than in the recording but like aaron burr on stage seems to be like he seems to have like a very minor case of like vocal fry or something oh geez Mm. so it's like it's like just barely off or like he's like singing like higher than in than in the uh in the recording it's 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 interesting Mm. Mm. It's fine though. I just prefer the recording. <laughs> my That's dad was watched Hamilton news. the other day, and he was like, "It's yeah. really good. You have to watch it." And I was like, "I will," because Zach D told me to listen to the soundtrack, so I did. Yeah, yeah. My mom saw it in. Um, she saw it in New York, not with the original cast. Mm. Gotcha. Yeah, it was cool. All right, boys. Yeah. So I All think right, we so should start that. Start with our introductions here. Oh yeah, we haven't even done that. I didn't even think about my introduction. <laughs> I was literally looking at my phone a second ago and being like, oh shit, what am I going to do? Yeah, no, I have nothing. I have absolutely nothing. So I am your jumping J Jack. I'll do that one. Yeah, I'm just going to go with something simple. I am your before the past century B. I don't know. Bobby. That was <laughs> nice awful. One. Nice one. 
I'm your bastard B brand because this is gonna be a fucking bastard, bastard, man. yeah, <laughs> bastard. Yeah, this is. Um, we're gonna talk about some things that you know a lot of people don't like to talk about, but mm-hmm. it's something that we have to talk about because as we've kind of talked before on this podcast, we are in full support of the Black Lives Matter movement and everything going on right now, and Brent has been including these um, links in our episode descriptions of ways that you can help the the movement and mm-hmm. so i strongly encourage you to go check those out yeah very just to help educate your exactly to educate yourself too there's a ton of great reading materials and stuff so you can learn more because a lot of people i think that the first instinct is to, to try to ask people for yeah. help to be like teach me about this but mm-hmm. it's really your responsibility to educate yourself yes. on the topics at hand so but we're here today to kind of help you with that so exactly we're here to tell you some of the history that you may not have learned in, in some of it you may have I know learned. I didn't. I know I didn't. I know, I, know I, didn't. I didn't know about it until last year. As I was researching this stuff, I was like, oh man, this is um this is crazy. This is like mm-hmm. our real history in this country. So yeah. without further ado, uh let's start setting the stage for what happened. So let's go um way back to before the Civil War. And we're going to start by talking about the abolitionist movement. So this is around like, you know, the late 1700s, early 1800s. So free black people and other anti-slavery northerners had begun helping enslaved people escape from southern plantations to the north via loose network of safe houses as early as the 1780s. This practice was known as the Underground Railroad. So obviously we learned a lot about that in in middle Harriet, school. And, Harriet Tubman and the like. Sure, sure. Yes, yeah. exactly. So this Who is a uh, is a statue in Donald Trump's proposed Greatest Americans Garden or whatever. Oh geez, <laughs> Greatest Americans Garden. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's got some actual good ones in there, and then the, some that are just like weird. Yeah. <laughs> so this Underground Railroad gained real momentum in the 1830s. So it was around for a, a while. Uh, although estimates vary widely, it may have helped anywhere between 40,000 and 100,000 enslaved people reach freedom. From the 1830s to the 1860s, the movement to abolish slavery in America gained strength, led by free black people such as Frederick Douglass and white supporters such as William Lloyd Garrison. While many ab- abolitionists based their activism on the belief that slaveholding was a sin, others were more inclined to the non-religious free labor argument which basically held that slaveholding was regressive, inefficient, and made little economic sense. So that was kind of one interesting argument back then for, you know, abolition was, it doesn't make any sense. (laughs) Yeah, it's not, it's not financially responsible, which I guess makes sense because they say that the, invention of the cotton gin is what kept slavery alive yeah um because it allowed like because slavery was falling out of favor because it just wasn't economically like feasible anymore but then Mm. with the cotton gin you know like one slave could do the job of many and like because of that it caused slavery to continue but people just people just get like a few they wouldn't get like tons of them yeah i did see that actually um which was interesting and so the next thing i wanted to talk about that was like in this same time period is the trail of tears. 
Mm-hmm. So I, I'm sure you guys have heard of the Trail of Tears. Yep. Uh, which was a series of forced relocations of approximately 60,000 Native Americans in the U.S. from their ancestral homelands in the south, southeastern United States to areas west of the Mississippi River that have been designated as Indian territory. And I say that with quotations because obviously the term Indian is uh, very wrong. And, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm sure most of our listeners know this, but the reason that, that for so long people labeled Native Americans as Indians was because when they landed here in the, the Americas, they thought that they landed in India yeah, because they were looking. They were looking. Well, they weren't. No, they weren't looking for India. They were looking for the East Indies, yes. right? Um, which is like I think it's like Southeast Asia, right? Now. Like it's not. It's it wasn't like India. Weren't they like going on like a spice run or something? Yeah. Well, they were trying. Well, it's because so there was the, the the like spices would be were being traded over through Europe either through the Silk Road. Um, because before the Suez Canal, mm-hmm. to go from China to Europe, you would have to go all the way around Africa, Man. Um, which was like insane to do. That's what, like the Suez Canal, like actually like cut short, like so much sea, sea travel. So they were like, why, instead of going all the way around Africa, let's just see if there's another way going the other way. Yeah. And that's what, that's how they found America. Interesting. Um, but I, I like this is entirely anecdotal, but like I had heard that there were certain tribes who would either rather be called just by their actual tribe name or be called American Indians or Indians. Mm, yeah, I'm not sure about because, that. Because they're because like a lot of them, like that's what they identify as because they grew up being called that. And that's what ev- that, like they were referred to. Mm. Right. Yeah. But like the best thing to do is to just is to know like what the tribe was in this instance, cause it was like a many, many tribes. Yeah. It was a bunch of them. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And I'm and sure there's like, be there's probably some them. element too that like America's the name we gave this place. Yeah. And so saying they're yeah. native Americans too. I mean, I, mm. I think it obviously depends on, we should, we should, yeah. this question like, should be probably directed towards someone who is a native, but yeah. you know, no, but like if you're thinking about it, it's like, okay, so this name this this name indians that we gave these people isn't correct mm. but this other name americans that that we also gave this people mm. that's the correct one it, like i understand like what you mean by that right. yeah yeah either way colonization it's a bitch ain't it yeah it's bad <laughs> it is and so this was like a big part of this time period you know and yeah. and, it's, and these tribes like like people tend to think you know you hear native americans and a lot of people imagine in their head, like, these tribes of people with teepees and, like, you know, living in kind of a lower class sort of more tribal society. But a lot of these these tribes were more civilized. Um, and I say civilized kind of lightly as in, like, they were more like the kind of European civilizations that came over here because they kind of adopted that society over time. And – Remember, like, this is the early 1800s, so, you know, settlers have been here for a while. So, over time, there yeah. were generations and generations that influenced these tribes and, you know, traded with them. And so, they kind of they, they kind of became known as the civilized tribes. And basically, so 60,000 Native Americans were, were moved 
and the forced relocations were carried out by the government authorities following the passage of the Indian Removal Act in 1830. Is that a little Andrew Jackson uh, policy right there? Yep. Yep. yep exactly. Good old Andrew J. Yeah. The great Andrew Jackson. <laughs> so the relocated people suffered from exposure, disease, starvation while en route to their new designated reserve. So between 1830 and 1850, the and I apologize if I get some of these pronunciations wrong, um, the Chickasaw, the mm-hmm. Choctaw, the Creek, the Seminole, and the Cherokee people, including mixed race and black slaves who lived among them, were forcibly removed from their traditional lands in the southeastern United States, and they were relocated west. So that was a pretty um, sad thing that happened. Basically, they forced these people out and to this to this land that was uninhabited, basically, because, I mean, no one really knew what was kind of uncharted territory. So we were like, well, you know, we don't need that land, so we'll throw them there. And that kind of kept happening. We kept pushing them further and further. Manifest destiny. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, but it, it, a lot of natives ended up settling here, basically in the west of the Mississippi, which later became known as like the Oklahoma area. And something that I didn't know while figuring out this part of the research that was very interesting to me was like, because these tribes were so much like the the settled civilizations from you know, the United States, they had their own slaves that were basically African-American slaves sold to them by the Americans. And so I didn't realize that that was, you know, part of their history. Oh, Native Americans also had slaves. They also owned black slaves. That's really, I was, would not expect that. That's really interesting. And it was actually a lot of them too. Like, so the Trail of Tears were... Um, like I said earlier, it was a lot of natives being relocated, but also natives with their slaves who they owned. So it's <laughs> it's yeah, kind of wild. Yeah, I wouldn't expect them to be slaveholders. Right. And I know that like you've heard probably a lot like um, a lot of native tribes had their other tribes as slaves, too. Um, but in this case, because it was in the southeastern United States they these tribes did purchase black slaves because it was basically part of the culture mm-hmm. yeah um but that meant that when they did move out west and they did move to um what is now basically that Oklahoma area they brought a lot of african american slaves with them who also kind of settled in that area once they became free later mm-hmm. on so that's just kind of like to set up sort of what that part of the country looked like at the time. So right. I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, the civil war to kind of address some of the reasons that things were the way they were. Um, because basically this is the, the abolition of slavery was basically the civil war. So it began primarily as a result of the longstanding controversy, controversy over the enslavement of black people. Um, war broke out in April 1861 when a secessionist force attacked Fort Sumter in South Carolina, 
just over a month after Abraham Lincoln had been inaugurated as the president of the United States. The loyalists of the Union in the North, which also included some geographically western and southern states, proclaimed support for the Constitution. They faced secessionists of the Confederate states of the South, who advocated for states' rights to uphold slavery, which, you know, there's a lot of history there. People need to learn about the Confederacy and why it's not okay Dude, to fly that flag. It was about it was about states' rights, mm-hmm. except like Texas and numerous other states explicitly cited slavery in their documents of succession. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, their right to and, hold slaves. You know what's the yeah. big deal? And, like, and they're yeah. like, no, it was slaves was just one of the rights, but it wasn't. It, it was mainly about states' rights. It's like, no, that was the right that it was fought over. And basically, like a lot of what they were really worried about was that if they lost their slaves, businesses and the economy of the South would be completely obliterated, right. because they had free labor that was completely running their their industries down right. there. Right, and then I think another big part of it too is that. A lot of the populations in these southern states at the time, if you ca- counted their slaves as part of the mm-hmm. population, the black population, they're actually pretty decently outnumbered the white population in a lot of these places, really? too, because of how many slaves yeah. they held. So there was part of it, too, that was fear that wow. if these slaves became free, all like, what do you think they might do to us if like all of a sudden these people who we've held and treated like animals for so many years all of a sudden have yeah. their freedom what are they going to yeah. do to us that's wow. i mean this is something that came up i've been doing a lot of research into like the history of policing in this country of listening to a lot of podcasts and stuff and that's kind mm-hmm. of like what sparked a lot of like the modern police forces in america in the south like they started as sort of slave patrols that were there to capture runaway slaves in the underground railroad and then after Mm. the eventual abolition of slavery they were then converted into like sort of like policing these newly freed slaves because yeah the 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 powerful you know landowning white people were afraid that they were going to revolt against them now that they were free so there's also that aspect of it too yeah, and we'll talk about this a little bit later in this half of the the series, but like there was a lot of sort of political um propaganda that led to a lot of people feeling scared by freed black people. Mm-hmm. Um and we'll kind of get into that later, but that's totally uh yeah, one of the reasons that they were scared. So, of the 34 U.S. states in 1861, seven southern slaveholding states were declared by their state governments to have seceded from the country, and the Confederate States of America was organized in rebellion against the U.S. constitutional government. The Confederacy grew to control at least a majority of the territory in the 11 states, and it claimed the additional states of Kentucky and Missouri. The Union and the Confederacy quickly raised volunteer and conscription armies that fought mostly in the South for four years. Intense combat left between 620,000 and 750,000 people dead. The Civil War remains the deadliest military conflict in American history, which is something I did not know. Oh, yeah. I always was like, well, it was America's like both sides deaths were counted mm-hmm. or as towards america right no that's so like that's that's like i think that's why yeah because they're both american sides technically yeah um it's interesting though that basically it was like this whole 
group, it was like most of the states, or not not most, but almost half the states were against the Constitution. Um, yeah. Which is just kind of interesting. But so the war effectively ended on April 9th, 1865, when Confederate General Robert E. Lee surrendered to the Union General Ulysses S. Grant at the Battle of Appom- uh, Does anyone know? Appomattox? Appomattox Courthouse. Thank you, Brent. You got it. Confederate generals throughout the southern states followed suit. The last surrender on land occurring June 23rd. Much of the South's infrastructure was destroyed, especially its railroads. So again, this kind of goes back to the uh, the institutions that they had because of slavery were basically yeah. collapsed um, with the abolishment of slavery. And so... Four million black slaves were freed from the end of this war. The 13th Amendment adopted on December 18th, 1865, officially abolished slavery, but freed black people's status in post-war South remained precarious. And significant challenges awaited during the Reconstruction period, which, you know, the good old Reconstruction, Reconstruction of the Civil War, which we did learn a little bit about in school. Um, Yeah, about how it was like actually terrible. (laughs) I almost feel like in a lot of ways we are still dealing with some of the like kind of like what you brought up, Brent, the Reconstruction period. We're yeah. still 100% dealing with. We still are dealing with Reconstruction. I mean, Electoral College came out of that time, you know. Yeah. Think about that. It was only like 100 and, I don't know, 50, 60 years ago Mm -hmm. where that happened, the Civil War, and it it was not that long ago. So we're still kind of dealing with the repercussions of it, which is crazy. You know, like when you look at history, when you look back in time to like ancient Rome and stuff, and you you see these these decisions that have these effects that last centuries before Mm -hmm. they kind of like are weeded out and work their way out of the systems. Yeah. And so well, there's been more of America's history with slavery than without at this point. That's crazy. That I think that I think a lot of people don't realize is that the, is that the majority of American history, slavery was legal. Man. Right. So one thing I wanted to talk a little bit about was the promise that the government made um, to the now freed uh, black men and women who lived in this country. And that's the 40 acres and a mule sort of promise, which I don't know if you guys have heard of that saying before. Have you heard of that? I think I might have. Yeah, I've heard it before, though. I mean, I don't know exactly what is entailed with that other than I imagine 40 acres and a mule. So <laughs> Yeah, so basically yeah. It, it really reminds me a lot of the uh, – I don't know why. I, I know this is probably not right to compare this, but it makes me think of the stimulus check a little bit from coronavirus like – they, basically, everybody that was now a freed American who was formerly a slave was promised 40 acres and a mule to get their life going, to get kind of as a as an economic boost for them and their families to sort of yeah. establish their own land and farms. And basically, this was put in place by some really liberal people in government. Um, but I'll, I'll talk more specifically about it. So. The promise was the first systematic attempt to provide a form of reparation to newly freed slaves, and it was astonishingly radical for its time. Proto-socialist in its implications. In fact, such a policy would be radical in any country today, even. The federal government's massive 
Con- oh man, why do I write words? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I like look them up while I'm researching, and then I'm like, oh yeah, I re- I'll remember it. this. Mm-hmm. Uh, confiscation. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I'm just gonna skip it. <laughs> um, con confiscation. That makes sense. Basically, they confiscated private property from these some of the people in the in the south who yeah. were slaves yeah uh it was basically about four hundred thousand acres uh formerly owned by confederate landowners and they were going to methodically redistribute it to former black slaves so what most people don't know is that the idea was actually generated by black leaders themselves at the time and what happened what so like one thing that i was kind of like reading about in this i was like Oh, wow. 40 acres and a mule. This sounds awesome. Like, this is so radical. Like, they're going to basically make up for a lot of the problems. Well, no, I, w- I don't want to say make up because it's mm-hmm. not making up for the problems that were, were embedded in yeah. slavery. But it was sort of a, hey, we're sorry. Here's this so you can get started. We know what we did was wrong. And so I'm like, oh, this is really interesting. But what happened to it? Like, where did it this go? Because... You know, I didn't learn about this in school. And also, I feel like if every single freed black slave uh, was given this much land and an opportunity to restart their life, then maybe we wouldn't have some of these systemic problems that we have today. But this visionary program, which would have fundamentally altered the course of American history, basically... Uh, Andrew Johnson, Lincoln's successor and a sympathizer with the South, overturned the order in the fall and fall of 1865. And as Barton Myers sadly concludes, returned the land along the South Carolina, Georgia and Florida coast to the planters who had originally owned it. To the very people who declared war on the United States of America. Yeah, so. That's what happened to it, um, which is. Pretty crazy, pretty sad. Yeah. They were, they, yeah, basically Lincoln was assassinated. Um, and then Andrew Johnson came in and was like, we're going to return all the land that, that Lincoln took from you to the people that who it rightfully belongs to. And so all that land, which would have been redistributed to freed slaves, was given right back to the white owners who basically had that land run by the slaves so that's already kind of the first thing that i saw i was like whoa (laughs) like wow i can't believe that happened you know to be honest i'm surprised that they even made the decision to like take land away from them and give it to slaves well it was a very it was a very very liberal idea um and i basically like i didn't write any of this down i probably should have but um (laughs) I wrote so much stuff down. I was just trying to keep it like from being too yeah. much. But basically what, what I found in there was there was like, it was basically the political, um, it was politicians from Boston who were extremely like liberal and kind of socialist. And they were trying to put, make things right basically. And a lot of black leaders, like I had mm-hmm. mentioned before were involved in this decision. They were like, they sat down with the black leaders and they were like, Okay, so like, what do you guys think we can do to to sort of bring balance back or bring balance 
for the first time to this country with all the people that live here. And so they came out with this plan of like something that we have now that is valuable is land. We have a lot of land and which we took from the natives. (laughs) So still, I mean, there's still a lot of problems, but basically they were like, okay, so people can take that land and basically use it because think about it this way. Like land was claimed land by the U S government was basically, you know, basically free. I mean, you know, with the Louisiana purchase and all this stuff, we had this, we had bought the land, but for like super cheap. Right. And so to give people this, a lot of this land that was kind of just taken for free, especially the land in the South that was won from the Confederate, like the, the defeat of the Confederacy. Basically they could jumpstart these people's lives by giving them an opportunity to use that land to create profit for themselves by farming and doing whatever they could to sort of sustain a financially viable lifestyle for their family. Mm-hmm. Um, so it kind of made sense, you know, right. We had an overwhelming amount of it. So it's like, let's just do this. It'll make it right. But then obviously there was a lot of pushback from the federal government on this and they kind of just undid it. And honestly, that it's not that different from today. I mean, on a much smaller scale, obviously, than, you know, the ending of slavery and promising all the freed slaves property. Um, Mm -hmm. But uh, like basically like Donald Trump's presidency has basically been to try to undo everything that the Obama presidency did. Like his entire goal has been to like undo everything that happened in his obama's eight years so the fact yeah. that this happened yeah. does not really shock me you know mm-hmm. i mean other than besides just full-on systemic racism and them not obviously probably not wanting to give freed slaves land yeah. from but you know i'm just like not shocked at all it's sad and fucked up but we still see it happening now like to some extent yeah. where it's like the next administration comes in and tries to undo everything the previous one did. You know, it's kind of just part of capitalism. I mean, like it's weird because I, I almost think it's like a catch 22 in a way, because on one hand it prevents a dictator from being able to make like insane changes quickly. You know what I mean? Like basically the, the, the slow working back and forth of the presidencies right. has is kind of like a prevention from allowing someone to come in and basically At least it's the way like, it's supposed to work yeah right i mean exactly. executive power just extended his term to 2036 i mean My god I mean, can we just stop pretending like Putin is just not a dictator? Like, everyone's like, oh, oh my yeah. God, Putin's going to be there for, like, another 10 years. I'm like, dude, Putin's never leaving. He's not leaving yeah, until Putin's he's dead. Until he's gone. <laughs> he's not leaving until yeah. he's dead. And even then, he'll exactly. somehow find out a way to make him into, like, a cyborg Putin. And he'll still be, like, <laughs> yeah. skating around like a grandpa in, like, oh, the, in, like Russian hockey games where they, like, have to, like, let him score <laughs> goals and shit. Like, <laughs> yeah, seriously. No, it'll be, like, Futurama, just the head in a like a bubble yeah exactly just attached to like a robot body <laughs> but yeah like no it, Nixon. exactly but yeah so i don't know it's it, it, i know what you mean though bobby yeah like the system is designed to prevent like extreme change from happening super fast but we're seeing that sort of eroded away recently with yeah. executive power getting more and more unchecked yeah and like right now with you know president trump and then his you know attorney general william barr who like literally believes that the president 
should be able to do whatever they want yeah <laughs> and it's trying to find ways to make that happen so it's well and I, I think a yeah. big part yeah, of it too same. is that we don't have the same like the same standards aren't upheld in the senate and like congress because yeah. people that are in the senate and congress basically can stay there almost their whole lives right and so it's these people who, who grew up in a different time who uh don't leave and that's kind of goes against everything that capitalism kind of stands for it's like mm-hmm. well if you have the same people in the senate for so long well i think you mean democracy not, right demo- yeah sorry yeah, yeah. no that's okay I, just quick correctly correction I'm be- not the- no yeah just quick correction before anyone's like screaming at their ipod yeah please people <laughs> also why do you still have an me? ipod like get what, what's going <laughs> I on i was gonna say ipod <laughs> brent how old are you listen i need you all to forgive me for my lack of political knowledge no no i I knew what you meant but i just wanted to just make the quick correction so yeah and like wait i don't even think i heard what he said differently he was saying capitalism but he meant democracy oh i meant democracy (laughs) and you know what's what's interesting is that you know what i want and what i really appreciate about this podcast is that i learn new things every time we do an episode and so exactly you know, it's it's all part of educating yourself and learning more about how the world works. And part mm-hmm. of that is being corrected. And please, if I say things that are wrong, I need you to email me, people. I need you to send me an email so I know it was <laughs> wrong so I can fix it. At brainbuckopodcast at gmail.com. Exactly. Yes. So let's get back into this um, sort of the historical background. Yeah. So we talked about the Civil War. We talked about the abolition of slavery. This promise that of 40 acres and a mule to every single individual who was freed, which was basically taken away from them. Now we move on to the state of Oklahoma. We're slowly closing in here on, on Tulsa. Mm-hmm. So the territory of northern Oklahoma had been established for resettlement of Native Americans from the southeast, some of whom had owned slaves, which we kind of already talked about. Mm-hmm. Other areas had received many settlers from the South whose families had been slaveholders before the Civil War. So a lot of families who now basically had nothing because their entire economic structure was based on slavery. They, they basically lost all their money and they had to leave. Um, also land that was taken from them after the war, as we kind of talked about. So Oklahoma was admitted as a state on November 16th, 1907, which, oh my God, that's super recent. (laughs) It's just kind of shocking to me. The newly created state legislator passed racial segregation laws, commonly known as the Jim Crow laws, as its first order of business. The 1907 Oklahoma Constitution did not call for strict segregation. Still, the very first law passed by the new legislature segregated all rail travel and all voter registration rules effectively disenfranchised most blacks. That meant that they were also barred from serving on juries or in local office. These laws were enforced until after passage of the Federal Voting Rights Act of 1965. Just let that settle in for a minute. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing how recent all this stuff existed in this country. And in a lot of ways, it feels like it hasn't really gone that much better. 
Yeah, I mean, think about all the stuff that could still exist we don't know about. Yeah, the laws really aren't on the books anymore, and yet we still live very segregated lives in a lot of ways. Mm. And But it's upheld in other ways other than by, you know, yeah. laws that literally say you can't go into a white, you know, establishment. Now it's like... Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. It's almost foundationally de- segregated, you know? Yeah. In a lot of ways. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, <laughs> it's crazy. So, yeah, I just thought that was insane. 1965. 1965. So, to, to anyone who, who, you know, reaches the argument of, you know, you might be talking with somebody who's like, well, you know, it's really not a problem. And when I was growing up, like, it was never talked about and it wasn't really a thing. And now that people are talking about racism, it's becoming a problem again. It's like, well, it's always been there. You just didn't see yeah, it. Yeah, it's just now people are talking about mm-hmm. it. Yeah, exactly. So, and then one of the points to that is 1965, before that, legally in Oklahoma, black people didn't have the same rights as white people. And that was not very long ago. Right. Yeah, it's insane. So basically now we're going to be talking about the Greenwood District. So Greenwood was a district in Tulsa organized in 1906 following Booker T. Washington's 1905 tour of Arkansas, Indian Territory, and Oklahoma. Greenwood became so prosperous that it became known as the Black Wall Street. Blacks had created their own businesses and services in this area, including several grocery stores, newspapers, two movie theaters, nightclubs, and numerous churches. Black professionals, including doctors, dentists, lawyers, and clergy, served their peers. So this was a uh, a place established in the early 1900s that was basically a very wealthy place for uh, black people to to live. And it was kind of a anomaly because you didn't really see this anywhere else. Like this wasn't a very common thing to have so many wealthy black communities in this country yeah and and so like there was this one that was kind of stood out as the only one um and i think mainly it was so successful because of there being so many people that settled there who were pushed out from the south it was mainly established as a black settlement and there was a lot of land there to sort of uh, capitalize on right um and also there were a lot of natives in the area so it was kind of already established as this like sort of zone that was not really made for the white man at the time Mm -hmm. um but like i said before there were white families who who moved there from the south and there were a lot of white people who saw that this place was doing so well and so they were like oh i'm gonna move there and so that place kind of just grew and grew and grew. Um, and Greenwood was basically a district around Tulsa. And I think it's technically in Tulsa. So a couple more things that sort of set the stage for what is going to happen is the film uh, The Birth of a Nation. Oh, the infamous Birth of a Nation. Yeah, I wanted to talk about this a little bit. Um, basically... Feel free to jump in because I know you guys know about this film too and sure. we kind of riff on it. Um, basically, this this film was created uh, originally under the name The Klansman. 
And it is a 1915 American silent film uh, made by D.W. Griffith. And it's a very controversial epic about the Civil War and the Reconstruction period. Depicted, and it depicted the Ku Klux Klan as valiant saviors of a post-war South ravaged by Northerners and immoral freed blacks. The film was an instant blockbuster. And with innovative cinematography and a Confederate skewed point of view, The Birth of a Nation also helped rekindle the KKK. In the first era, Reconstruction clans did not burn crosses. So this was something really interesting that I found. Uh, This idea was actually introduced by Thomas Dixon Jr. in his novel, The Klansman, which The Birth of a Nation was based on. The film was controversial even before its release, and has remained controversial ever since, obviously. Yeah. It has been called the most controversial film ever made in the U.S. Yeah, so think about... When you think about the KKK, what do you see? A group of people in the hoods mm-hmm. burning a cross. So before this movie came out, uh, the Ku Klux Klan members did not burn crosses. This was not a thing. Basically, they thought that the Thomas Dixon, when he wrote the book, thought that it would be a really cool symbol to represent to have a burning cross to have a burning cross. And it's like not like people haven't burned crosses before in history, but he I think he got the idea from something, you know, some kind of it was a religious symbol. And, and so, yeah, they basically thought it would look cool. And so the, when they made the movie, they were like, yeah, this would be a really sexy shot. Let's uh, let's have this shot of them burning a cross oh and so because of that the kkk was like this is pretty cool let's do this well people that didn't know any better were like oh yeah this is what the kkk does and so when these new groups formed because of the resurgence of the kkk they were like let's do what the kkk does and burn crosses so yeah it was actually influenced by this movie and and for a lot of people who say it's just a movie that's one example right there of no it's not because movies influence culture yeah you'd be surprised how often that happens sort of like mafia culture um a lot of the ways it's depicted in film like with the godfather and stuff like that where it's like this like strong family values or whatever and like there's like a moral code to the way where gangsters or whatever that stuff didn't really exist Mm -hmm. and like most sort of like mob culture before those movies started coming out and sort of like because they started watching those movies, they're like, "Oh yeah, that's actually this is pretty cool. We should we should act like this. This is dope." Wow. Oh, but like originally, funny. there was more like as a lot way more petty and like a lot of just like people turning on each other, ratting people would rat each other out constantly, you know. And like, oh. but then that sort of like when the movies would come out and be like, "Oh yeah, we we don't deal with rats or whatever," you know that that sort wow. of that sort of stuff came into it after the fact because of the film. So yeah, you're absolutely right, Bobby. That's Media has such a big influence on these sort of things. Yeah, it's kind of funny. Like, the original versions of the KKK, yeah, they were mostly just, like, a bunch of, like, racist dorks who, like, would get (laughs) drunk and, like, throw on their, like, call each other, you know, wizards and grand dragons and shit like that. And then they would go around just, like... Sort of like You're the Grand Wizard. They're sort of like the original like trolls. Like they would go around like <gasps> chasing and scaring people, and then be like, "What? It was a joke. You don't get my funny joke, you know?" <laughs> yeah. And then I mean, it, obviously, it escalated to the point where like actual like violence and lynchings and horrible shit like that happened. But yeah. they would that's they sort of acted like the original like sort of like 
like edge lords or whatever. Wow, <laughs> they were like these like nerds, like proto internet nerds going around, just like scaring people and then being like, "Oh, you just don't get my joke." Oh, what one <laughs> SJW? You know? Wow. Yeah. So. Oh man, but I mean, like, I want to talk about this movie a little bit because it. Yeah. Ha- Brent, you've I'm sure you've seen it. I, I think it was in that the movie the Thirteenth that we were that you told me to watch. Yes. They kind of introduced that in the movie. Right. Um, yeah, basically, I, I watched through most of it. It's on mm-hmm. YouTube. And wow, it is just so messed up, like the way that it, it kind of depicts um, the freed black people at the time. And right. it's it's basically just like, to give a synopsis, like the city that was, that has to deal with Confederates and and black people they're scared that that these like black people are going to come in and just you know rape their women and and loot their businesses and take away that their homes and it's all uh white actors with blackface like there's not a single black person that I could find oh. in the movie yeah it's pretty bad yep and they're um you know they're acting you, we learn a lot about like kind of like the Jim Crow sort of persona. They're acting very animalistic, mm-hmm. and they they kind of got they're moving their arms, kind of like yeah, like they're like caricatures. Yeah, like, it's like like literally like blackface, like literally. Uh, like the minstrel show type thing. Right. It's not just yeah. like putting you know painting your skin a certain color. It's also like acting in this very horrible, yeah. racist, stereotypical way or you know i hate i don't even i feel weird even saying stereotypical because i don't think anyone actually acts like this it's just this horrible racist thing there's like you know that i don't know it it's just like somehow saying stereotypical almost like lends like too much credit to it right it almost i think it's because like like a lot of like stereotypes are like uh, like some of them are based in like actual they're still like perversions like, like, of like a reality, you know. Of, of yeah, of like something that 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 happens. Like 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 the stereotype. Like since we're all white, like the stereotype that like white people can't eat spicy food. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, right. it's like just it, it like it stems from the fact that like on average like European cultures don't like use like a lot of spice yeah. in their in their in their meals. Um, um, but like a lot of the um like black quote-unquote black stereotypes are like a lot of them aren't even true they're not yeah. there's there's nothing like, like to they're base not even on based it. <laughs> they're not even based in anything somebody one it's time was just gross. like oh wouldn't it be funny if it yeah. was this yeah and then that's why it is yeah it's well and just, it's fear-mongering too you yeah. know like they're, exactly. they're trying yeah. to in this film they depicted black people as being like rapists and murderers and is basically to try and spread fear and you know it's kind of funny because that's still kind of some of the rhetoric we hear now. You know, oh, absolutely. it hasn't changed really no, at all. Brent, it's the culture, Brent. It's the culture, yeah. absolutely. And it's I, not their race; it's their culture. Yeah, yeah. Because we can't say it's their race anymore, so we have to say it's their culture. Well, yeah, even right. um, you know, we look at that <sighs> the thirteenth. Um, yep. They talk about George Bush's run for presidency, and he talked about criminals and how he was going to to be hard on criminals like this man. And they showed like a picture of a black guy who was a criminal, but using that as sort of like the face of criminal criminals in this country. And and, and people, 
it's not an accident and it still happens to this day and people right. still think you know that's what the way the world is right and yeah it, it's been well, happening it's like the whole thing with like the war on drugs and like the war like the crackdown on crime mm-hmm. yep and like bill clinton with the uh with the three strikes laws yeah. and stuff and it's been yep. happening for the last for hundreds of years and it's still happening today right yeah and so like this movie was a very prime example of you know, at the time when it came out, they could have probably rested on the the fact that like, oh, it's a depiction of what actually happened in the Civil War Reconstruction. It's like, but is it though? Like, it, no, it's, it's not. not even close. And and like the whole film, there's um, these men in blackface are walking around like with their arms up in the air, kind of like like acting like monkeys, basically. Um, and they're you know, there's one scene where a a guy in blackface goes up to a woman and she's on the edge of a cliff and he's like moving closer to her and she jumps off the the cliff. And so like the symbolism of that, it's like, yeah, like, I'd rather die than be raped by this black man. It's like mm. so messed up. Um, and then at the end of the film, the, the KKK comes in on their horses and they're like, and the movie's like, Oh yay, the heroes are here. And, and they basically, ward off all the the black people and the confederate the the union um and so then it cuts to like the next year at the end and it shows all the black citizens coming out of their houses to vote it says like voting day um because at this time they were now freed and they technically had the right to vote um or they were supposed to mm-hmm. and the KKK is all in a line sitting outside their houses with guns pointed at them. And all the, the blackface white men come out of their houses and they see the KKK and they go, Ooh, and they turn around and go back in their houses. And I'm like, I was just left completely speechless when I saw that scene. I was like, this is in an actual movie that was made. Right. Oh. Yeah, dude. Yeah. And it was a hit. Ni- dude, ni- it was 1915 a hit. was it was a different time. 1915 or whatever. One, I saw yeah, there's one article that's like um one of the wo- most dangerous things about the birth of a nation is how good of a movie it is. Like obje- like how like like in terms of like cinematography yeah well it was of like cinema like skill well it was like one of the most revolutionary films of its time because it was it was one of the first it was i think it was the longest film ever made at the time oh wow which was kind of like a big deal because films were just beginning to be a thing and they had like some of the most um revolutionary like cinematic shots at the time and stuff and so people were would watch this movie and be like wow this is amazing like check this out isn't this moving picture just like in- yeah. inspiring and so like this kind of created a a very specific view of the reconstruction of the civil war in society it almost shaped it in a way um and it caused a, a resurgence in the the KKK so there's actually an interesting quote that Ben told me about um, that I did look up, Ben. So he's like, don't don't mention it unless you look it up. I'm like, I will look it up, Ben. I will look it up. So I looked it up. We got you back, and, Ben. Uh, we got you back. In February 1915, upon viewing The Birth of a Nation at a special White House screening, 
President Woodrow Wilson reportedly remarked, it's like writing history with lightning. My only regret is that it is all so terribly true. <laughs> this line has appeared in numerous books and articles over the past 70 years. What the heck? <laughs> yeah, uh, Woodrow Wilson, it's not true. Mm-hmm. Most of it's not true, buddy. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry, but if you watch the film, it's just... Writing history with lightning? Yeah. I mean, there are parts of it that are true. Like, the KKK standing outside of black neighborhoods basically saying, you can't go vote. Yeah. (laughs) Like, that's true. It's just the way that it got to that point isn't true. (laughs) Um, Yeah. The KKK is not the hero of this story. Right, and yeah, maybe that's the way that it was depicted at the time. Maybe that's the way that people saw it, but it's not. That's not the way it is. Um, yeah. So that was kind of a big part of this resurgence of the KKK, and uh, it led to a lot of events that became known as the Red Summer. I don't know if you guys have heard of the Red Summer. No, I, I haven't. haven't. So the Red Summer was um, basically this time period where I'll just read what I wrote down. So. As returning veterans tried to re-enter the labor market following World War One, social tension and anti-black sentiment increased in cities where job competition was high. At the same time, black veterans pushed to have their civil rights enforced, believing that they had earned full citizenship by military service. In what became known as the Red Summer of 1919, industrial cities across the Midwest and Northeast experienced several race riots in which whites, sometimes including local authorities, attacked black communities. In Chicago and in some other cities, blacks defended themselves for the first time with force, but were often outnumbered. So you can see that tensions were very high at this time period. Um, And we'll go a lot further detail into this, sort of the repercussions of this, in part two. That's kind of the end of... Part one. Oh, this is the this. So this is going to be the end of this part one. Yes. Um, I did want to talk a little bit about Red Summer first. Um, yeah. Because, yeah, basically these mobs of white people would gather, and they felt that their rights were being taken away because after the First World War, you know, like I said, the the job market was kind of there was a big competition, like, and the black people who had fought in world war one were like, Hey, we fought for you. We fought for this country. We fought to keep you all free. And doesn't that give us the right to get a job? But all the white people were like, well, we should get the jobs first because we had the jobs. So it caused a lot of problems, that kind of competition and led to a lot of mobs kind of attacking neighborhoods and, there were like lynchings throughout the the country and just basically there was a huge resurgence in, in the KKK because of all this. Um, so yeah, like I said, tensions were very high at this time period. Yeah. Jeez. All right. So the stage uh, is set. Yep. Now I just want to clarify. Yep. <laughs> Sorry, Brian. I'll let you go in a sec. Okay. I just want to clarify. This was not supposed to be part of this episode. Mm-hmm. I was just start trying to like figure out why the Tulsa race massacre happened. And I was like, this is way too much to, to cause like, I'm not going to fit both this and the actual events of the massacre into one episode. There's no way. Yeah. So this is all just setting the stage. 
anyway, sorry, Bram, what were you going to say? No, I was just going to say, it's just sad to me listening to all this and just, all I can really think is, feel is how similar it all is to what we're going through right now. Yeah. Like how not that much different it really is. I mean, I know. we're living through these intense, stressful times with, you know, COVID-19 pandemics and historic unemployments mm-hmm. and unrest and just all this stuff. And then we're now, you know, obviously with what happened and, and you know, Black Lives Matter sort of like emerging again as, as, as a result of, you know, the murder of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and, you know, so many others. And it feels like in a lot of ways, we're kind of living through this stuff again. You know, it feels like the mm. stage is being set for very similar things. Like we're already seeing protesters being killed and stuff. And mm-hmm. we talked about the Boogaloo boys last week and like yeah. shit that's going on with that. It feels like lynchings th- in this country actual today. lynchings that are happening that are being treated like suicides. I mean, there's been like eight now of just like, Apparently, just yeah. a spree of black people deciding they're going to hang themselves publicly to commit suicide. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. It's just all of a sudden. It just all this stuff feels like it feels like you you could literally just be replace the names and the times mm-hmm. and the dates with today, and it, I'd be yeah okay that mm-hmm. all tracks that totally tracks with right now, and it's really yeah. sad and really. What's frustrating. really eerie about it too is that like. I mean, oh, this was a hundred years ago. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm basically replaced the 19 with 20. Yeah. Like, think about that because, you know, we're just talking about the red summer of 1919. Yeah. And we're, we're about to talk about the Tulsa massacre, which was 1921. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it is very scary how it feels like we could be kind of just replacing the words and yeah. talking about today. Um, yeah, I mean, there was a lot of, there was a lot of good done in the last hundred years for civil rights. And we just, the, the, I think the problem is we, we tend to get comfortable. Well, there's a, um, there's a famous Malcolm X quote where he says what the white man did to black people is they 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 stabbed a knife oh yeah 10 inches deep into their back and right now they've pulled it out 5 inches and they say look we pulled the knife the, out <laughs> yeah they say they and they think that that's good enough but the healing doesn't start until the knife comes out and then the healing doesn't even start until the wound gets treated yeah and he says and the so the white man has only pulled it out 5 inches and what's even worse is People don't even acknowledge that the knife is there in the first place. Right, right. I, that's my favorite quote. Uh, I love that quote. It's so powerful because yeah. it's so true. Yeah. Like, and we, everyday life, it's hard to see racism like day to day. Especially in, in terms of living as, a, you know, white people in America, you know. Exactly. Yeah. In white communities too. And, mm-hmm. and um, it's... It's when you look at the foundations and the the way things are set up that it starts to become like like questionable and you're like, oh, wait a minute. That's how that works. That's how the prison system works. That's how it started. Mm-hmm. And then you realize there's yeah. a knife. Like that's when you start to realize that that is the knife. Yeah. You know, we're we're living on the knife. Yeah. <laughs> we're like, it's hard to see the knife because we're living on it. 
We're like yeah. little yeah. ants walking around. It doesn't look like a knife, but if you back up, uh, yeah, wait basically. a minute. Yeah, so yep. that's the end of part one. So I think we'll just kind of end it there. We're already in an hour, so. Yeah, you got a lot of sink your teeth into here. And yeah. Get ready for what's to come, because I know, it doesn't even, even yeah. felt like an hour. This is weird. I yeah. know. I mean, we have been going like an hour and a half lately for our pods, so I mean, uh, yeah. this is kind of a shorter episode, but it is a two-parter. So for all those listening as this comes out, stay tuned for next week's episode where we talk mm-hmm. about the Tulsa massacre itself because you thought this was wild. Well, now we're going to get into details. <laughs> yeah. Because all that stuff oh, I just said. it gets worse. <laughs> yep. It gets worse. All the stuff. Should we plug stuff right now? I think we'll so. Do <laughs> yeah, just a quick oh, plug because, yeah, okay. yeah, people aren't going to hear from us again for another week. So, yeah. So right. check out our social meds, yes. those classic social meds. Um, Brent, Brent mentioned earlier, you can email us at brainboggledpodcast at gmail.com. Mm. Brainboggledpodcast at gmail.com. Mm. Please correct uh, us send or send us, us ideas. Yeah, mm. send us ideas for new podcasts. Correct us if we're wrong on something. If you just want to say hi and let us know that you watch the podcast, you like it or you hate <laughs> it or whatever. Um, you can also check us out on Twitter at brainboggledpod. Pod? Yep. At brainboggledpod. Instagram is at Brain Boggled. Mm. We have a website, brainboggledpodcast.com, yes. where you can uh, check out. Oh, we have uh, we post blogs there and like posts that relate to episodes. We got merch. And stuff. We, got uh, merch. we got merch on the website as well. We got cartoons. We, also page. we have cartoons on the yeah. on the uh, website. We have so much on the website. You got to check out the website. Uh, we also have a Patreon where you can support us for as little as one dollar a month. And get access to all of our bonus episodes. And we yeah. got our Discord working finally. We're all yeah. on the Discord. Yes. So yes. please go chat Discord. with us because we'd love to talk to you guys. Yeah. Uh, if you join us on Patreon for $3 a month, you can become a member of our Discord server. Plus, get access to polls. We have one up right now to decide what our next bonus episode is going to be about. Oh, it's, yes. it's between three different. We're going to have a little gamers corner where you either talk about. Oh, wait. Hmm. What's, the, um, what's the third so option? So we're talking either control last of us part one or god of war oh mm. yeah okay so if you've never played any of those games and you're listening right now uh control is like control is very similar to the scp foundation mm. episode where it's mm. like a government bureau that deals with like paranormal stuff yeah uh the last of us part one is a beautiful story about um a man and a girl as they make their journey across country through this uh there's been this like zombie-like infection that infects humans now uh, and God of War virus. is sort of like a retelling of um, I we'll, we'll, I mean, the, the main character is a Greek god in the previous games were about um, the Greek pantheon. Mm-hmm. But this newest one, which I assume we'll primarily focus on, yeah. is about um, his experience in like Scandinavia and with his uh, against Norwegian Norse gods, mm. which is really interesting. Yeah. Um, so. Go uh, go vote in there. Yeah. Uh, if you want to vote, become a patron so you can vote. Even if it's just for a month, just vote for it's one month. It's literally the isn't price it, of a cost. Isn't it worth... It's worth $3 it's, to, it's a to cup pick of the next topic. Yeah. It's a cup of coffee. I one cup so. of coffee. Yeah, it's a cup yeah. of coffee. Yeah. One cup of coffee in the entire month, you could spare it. And uh, also, a little tidbit for Brent. I, I thought this was cool. Um, I was watching a speed run of Bioshock 1, yeah. which I just love doing just, that. I just beat Bioshock. You 1, did. Actually. I'm playing it right now. Yeah. It's so much better on PC. It's yes, way it's better on PC. Um, oh, and this is the kind of stuff you'll hear in, in the bonus apps because we we're like elite <laughs> gamers now. Yes, um, yeah, big game boys. So I'm watching this this uh, speed run, and which is really cool because the guy can beat Bioshock in like 45 minutes. 
and like people are donating while he's doing this live stream and someone donated a thousand dollars and they were like this is my oh, favorite shit. game and when you donate you get to donate like what the money goes towards like yeah. some next speed run or something and so he was like this is my favorite game of all time and for the donation i'm donating to control the ashtray maze <laughs> so someone's oh. gonna be doing it and i was like oh my god that's like the best level in video game history it's so good i love that part of it's that fun. game it's, it's so amazing fun. if you vote we'll talk more about it if you vote for it and if it gets yes. picked yeah, yeah. So definitely so definitely check all that stuff out definitely all right and also if you want to uh support like we said at the beginning of the show uh and educate yourself about black lives matter and sort of like what it stands for and why it exists please check out our links in our description and uh you can learn a lot about that there's links to books and articles and all this stuff that you can check out definitely yeah all right so uh tune in next week yes. for part two yes thank you bye, bye. bye.